Okay. It comes here, and it finishes here. Two men enter, one man leaves. Nearly a two-word review just said, shit sandwich. I will roll the record up for the next That right there is a lot of Welcome back, fellow music lovers. You are now tuned into yet another exciting adventure here with us on Chunky Glasses, the podcast. I'm your host, Kevin. As usual, um, you know, we, we we had plans for this podcast uh, because, uh, as, as some of you may know, there's this here election uh, we, we got tomorrow coming up. Uh, we're in Washington, D.C. Uh, you guys are out in the rest of the country. And, and uh, we, had, we had a podcast sort of talking about country music, but talking about, like, the crowd that talks to it. it's a, it's, a, it's a good podcast it's gonna come out it's myself casey ray and uh, marcus dowling um but uh our guest today uh sitting down to talk with with one jen wasner got me uh got me feeling a little more optimistic maybe than that that podcast is you know we talked about uh, a lot of her her music that she's doing now talked a little bit about her past about just being an artist in general um, if you don't know who Jen Wastner is, she is, uh, besides being the mastermind behind Flock of Dimes, she uh, came to notoriety as one half of the band Y Oak, her and Andy Stack. Now, this is a band that sort of cracked open my brain when I saw them. Hadn't really heard of them. They were from Baltimore, and uh, they played the show. I believe it was opening for Blitz and Trapper, and they uh, they they just they shredded. It was it was unlike anything. Uh, I'd ever seen, and it's just like these two uh, with limited instrumentation making this tremendous, tremendous sound. You have uh, Jen Wastner as sort of a guitar aficionado. She shreds, uh, and uh, and she can sing to boot. She's got a gorgeous voice. So this was sort of the uh, the killer combo. And then a couple of years ago, she started working on some stuff that was uh, that was more for her and more just her music and. Uh, that started off at some shows that uh, just testing it out. And earlier this year, and finally sort of everything came to fruition when she put out her new album, If You See Me Say Yes, on Partisan Records. We reviewed that album on this podcast and uh, and loved it. Actually, Patrick and I, uh, it's uh, it's dense, it's it's poppy, it's happy, it's it's optimistic, even when it's talking about some some sort of dark, darker personal stuff. And uh, And that's... Uh, from sitting down and talking with Jen, uh, that's sort of how she is. <laughs> so um, we just saw her play an excellent set at U Street Music Hall here. Uh, it was it was fantastic, and then her and her band stopped by before that to sit down and chat. So that's what we're going to be doing today. And if that sounds like your thing, I urge you to get comfortable and uh, grab a beverage, you know, cool off, and uh, let's head on down to the basement now. Here you go. This is uh, me sitting down with the amazing. Jen Wasner to talk about Flock of Dimes. So much of my life has already come to be. So I watch the sun go up and I watch the sun go down. In the horizon of a ring like a missing piece that can never be found. And as the seasons lie in wait like a sea. 
it's really hard for me to have something right in front of me and not at least look at it. Um, right. So, I, well, I mean, it I depends do. on how you um, how you internalize that stuff mm -hmm. and how much feedback you want. Well, I actually feel like I'm in a better place to look at it now than I ever have been in the past because um, I went through this phase where I was just really deeply unsettled uh, creatively and mm -hmm. had a, some really extreme writer's block. Mm -hmm. And I think that I can trace that back to the the really people-pleasy side of my personality, really wanting to make something that would satisfy everyone, which is, of course, impossible. Yeah. Um, but it it stopped me in my tracks. Like, I, I was just completely frozen. I, I could, there's, you know, I couldn't make anything because my ambitions were to do something that is completely impossible to you do. You can't like everything. No, of course not. No one should. I People mean, think you should, though. No, no. I mean, it's that's ridiculous, though. I mean, that's an insane thing to think. Like, yeah, it, well, it, it, yeah, but yeah. people do it. Yeah, well, different people use di music for different reasons, mm -hmm. and yeah, you know, I, a lot of what I was, you know, I, what I just mentioned, I had to do some really heavy lifting as far as um, restructuring my brain mm -hmm. uh, to think about things in a in such a way that I was able to produce and to redirect my focus and my awareness inward instead of outward yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. if you're trying to satisfy everyone it's it's a completely impossible thing to do but if you instead ask yourself what is the thing that i most want to hear mm -hmm. and you you look inward and you and you try and make that then you have to you have to kind of like the next step is of course taking that leap of faith and being like okay well if I love this enough and I truly love what I'm making, that someone right. else will also like it. Not everyone, of Not course, everyone. because different people like different things and different people use music for different reasons. Yeah. Um, I have a theory about that too, and it's, obviously it's a pretty reductive one, but it helps me, which is that I think that um, creatively speaking, there are people who are healers and there are people who are destroyers, and both are equally essential to the fabric of oh, our existence. Um, but I think I am... A healer um, right. in that like I like to make music that works in the emotional spectrum and the feeling spectrum and I um, yeah. I'm very intuitive and um, I like to make things that comfort and and heal and gives you know and and work in that realm um, and like that inspire peace but then there are people whose job it is to destroy and recreate and push music right. forward um, the fact that I you know I wanted I was one and wanted to be another was a real point of uh, a conflict for me, oh, of internal conflict for me. And we're, we're sort of rolling, so I'll, oh, I'm yeah, not no, figure I figured. Out I, I, I figured, yeah, like, no, that's cool. But, that's fine. Um, but yeah, we're sort of rolling. And uh, yeah, that's the podcast because that's all I want to know about now. Okay, um, bye. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, I, that's, I think about this stuff all the time, obviously. And um, I think just sort of making peace with who I am, what I do, and the kind of things that I'm uh, compelled to make, mm -hmm. and then sort of letting the rest go and and being at peace with the fact that i i love what i do and it brings me a lot of joy and so it's almost inconsequential to me what other people think of it because that's more about them than me right but of course you know and it's, that's not really narcissistic either no, no, it's, no. it's just like look I, I can't please you so yeah i'm not I gonna mean, try if anything i am really deeply uncomfortable with the side of music making and sharing that is very like ego based and self promotional, mm -hmm. which I think sometimes works. It means I'm a little bit at, uh, at a detriment uh, because yeah. I I don't like calling attention to myself, um, and that 
doesn't well, really st- fall stop in line. Stop being an awesome band. <laughs> just, I just the way I think about it, I have these like dreams where I'm like, like if I could have this any way I want, like what would if, I do? If nobody knew who I was. If I could just like, yep. if you could sell, this is so dorky. If you could sell songs at like a farmer's market and I could just like have a little booth and just sit there and be like, here are my wares. Like I was like a basket weaver or something. That's not too far out of the realm of possibility. I mean, mm, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that would exist. I mean, I'd love to, for something like that to exist and it wouldn't necessarily uh-huh. mean that I'm like, I'm the shit. Look at me. Like, here's this article. Here's this video. Look at me. Me. Cause right. you have to fight for people's attention. Yeah. Nowadays, more than ever, mm-hmm. there's so much out there and it's just people are just desperate for eyes and ears. And mm-hmm. it goes against my nature as a person to be like, look at me. I'm more just like, it's here if you want it. You know, <laughs> I'm like, here I am. But like, whatever. Yeah. You, you might like it. You might not. Um, and so I don't know. I mean, I guess it's kind of nice to be in a position where I'm really, really proud of my record and I love it so much. Right. And, it, and it makes me feel so satisfied that it's out in the world but my feelings about it are completely detached in every way from how well it does or how many people like it or how many people buy it well like when did you uh, going back to you're born and raised in baltimore right Mm -hmm. and uh you know you you left baltimore i did we're we're all still crying Uh, about that but uh yeah well i'm crying about it too yeah (laughs) believe me (laughs) you went to a good place you went to north carolina i did i mean and you know i i like to think that i'm having my cake and eating it too a little bit because i'm in baltimore regularly and i see my family and friends quite a bit i was just there last night and i'll be back in a few weeks and so right i still feel very much a part of that community um but in north carolina my life is a lot more um i just have a lot more like space and peace and quiet yeah. uh, there which is important for what i do so. yeah yeah for, for sure when when did you start like making stuff that you remember like i remember uh, well i you know i i played piano i took piano lessons for like 10 years when uh-huh. i was a kid i started probably when i was maybe like seven or eight years old yeah. um and it wasn't until i started playing guitar probably when i was about 12 that it occurred to me that I could kind of just make things up. And I think the guitar is sort of a, a really malleable instrument mm-hmm. in that like a piano is, is fixed, it's set. But um, a guitar, you can sort of turn the, the pegs and change the pitches of the strings and like it becomes a little bit more adaptable and adjustable. Yeah. Um, and so I remember my feelings about creating and my desire to create things that were mine kind of coincided with my... Um, first experiences with playing the guitar, yeah. and that was probably about maybe twelve or thirteen years old. And was it was it straight out like I, I'm just gonna? Because I mean, the awesome thing about a guitar versus a piano is a piano. It, it, you have to work really hard to sound like a badass. Oh yeah, it's a hard instrument. It's, for it's sure. hard. I was actually yeah. talking about this with a Skyler. Yeah, uh, yeah. About these and but but a a guitar like anybody can pick it up yeah. and just sound like a complete fucking badass. Yeah. And it's just like. Check this out. You got a delay pedal, you got a yeah. rat, and you are good to go. That is both the good thing and the terrible thing about that instrument. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it really, I mean, you know, it's just a tool. I mean, it, it, anything that you use, I, I, I'm very reluctant to kind of fetishize these tools that we use right. to create because obviously it's the product that matters and not yeah. what you're using to make it. Um, but I do think that there is something about the guitar, especially when you're first sort of like coming into your own with your own thoughts and desires about creation. Um, there's something that's really like adaptable, adjustable, malleable about it that mm-hmm. um, I think is why a lot of people are drawn to it, you know, to write and create for the first time. Um, 
and and yeah and it's like you know on piano i think because the piano is so like rooted and fixed and and it's basically like musical music theory laid out in front of you it's like mm -hmm. it's the you yeah. know the western music scale right there and so like um it, it requires there's like a, a steeper entry level entry curve yeah, absolutely, on it absolutely um but yeah. um but you guitar you can just kind of like i'll just mess around with this thing until it sounds so it didn't cool. get the get, didn't get the note bend it up half. yeah no i mean and, i, I and would still that, do that i do and that all the time it's like, that's cool i use i mean it's kind of a bane of my existence because i i have to carry around three or four guitars when i tour with y oak because uh -huh. i have so many different tunings that i use and they're so different yeah, from yeah, one yeah. another um that that's the only way i can get through the show without of course hiring a guitar tech which we certainly cannot afford to do right, at this point so. right um when you uh you know so so you started doing that around 12 and then and when you when you figured you started like doing that in front of people and saying hey maybe this is what i'm what i'm going to do well i joined a band actually with my bandmate in Wyoke, andy he was in my first yeah. high school band i met uh, hey, when I was 15 years old, uh -huh. and I joined his high school band that already existed, and I was going to be the keyboard player, and I showed up to rehearsal, and um, I had already learned all of their songs, and uh, they were like, "Whoa, you practiced? Yes, <laughs> like you're you're taking this way seriously than that's, we that's are. That's so not DIY. <laughs> so, Come on. Yeah, you're so um. So I joined that band, and and that was how I played some of my first shows in front of people, and mm -hmm. and then later. That evolved into, you know, as as we got older and people went away to college and 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 went their separate ways, Andy and I um, kind of just never stopped playing music together. Yeah, um, and have been playing as Wyoke as a duo for about a decade now. Yeah, yeah, it's about a decade. I think the first time we saw you, uh, you'd been playing a little while. It might have been around the time of the Knot. Yeah, two thousand. Yeah, saw you at Auto Bar opening for I think Blitz and Trapper. Mm -hmm. Didn't know anything about you guys didn't and walked in and uh daria my wife was just like jaw dropped yeah, and we were just standing awesome. there and we're like oh my god awesome. what is what this compliment. Thank left you. bought all the albums and stuff because oh, thanks man i think what you you guys did with that band uh because the instrumentation is a little odd Mm -hmm. You know, it's just you on guitar, yeah, and then Andy doing like drums and whatever the hell. Yeah, else he's a, lot doing. Of, a lot. He's only doing a lot is what he's doing. <laughs> um, but it, what was wild about that band, and that still still is wild about that band, is that you write these songs that like they're, they're the core, right? And they're still mm -hmm. like the song, and you sound like the, just this like giant machine with just the two of you. Well, that's what we put a lot of effort into. That I mean, our our band was founded on. Um, trying to rise above the limitations we had set in place uh, for ourselves, right. which um, we, I think that's a classic way of uh, finding creativity yeah. and reaching creativity is setting boundaries um, and uh, transcending limitations. And so that's always been a fundamental part of the band. And that's why we continue to play as a two piece, because we haven't yet hit a point um, between what we're capable of, you know, with practice and also the um, advantages that technology has given us, um, we've not we've not yet hit a point where we're not able to execute what we want to do um, as a duo. So we continue to do it. Um, mm. But that was sort of like one of the fundamental principles of how we started it. And now, you know, I, I alternate between bass and keyboards and guitar yeah, yeah. In, on stage, and Andy's still playing um, drums and synths and bass lines and sampling things and yeah. just is very, very busy. But yeah, um, but yeah I mean, it's it's great. It, it, uh, it gives you a starting place. You know, it gives you a point from which to uh, to create that makes uh, – it gets you around the whole, like, blank 
blank page syndrome that right. can often happen when anything is available to you, which was something that I had to really work on when I started working on the, the Fox the Dimes record. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so with that, were you, I mean, because in, you know, the way you describe you and Andy's working relationship in Wyoke in general, you know, it sounds like pretty much open for anything. So what about what you were wanted to do in Flock of Dimes? Were you like, this is going to have to go somewhere else? Well, you know, like I, like I was saying, I'm, when I'm working on music or anything creative, um, some people are, you know, they intellectualize and I operate from intuition. I, I think of myself as something of an empath. Okay. And so it's very instinctive and, and I try and think as little as possible and kind of let my instincts and my gut dictate where it, where the music goes. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, obviously there's a great deal of like self editing that comes in after the fact, but I think the sure. most, the most magical things that I've created that, that I really love and I think that really stand the test of time have come from places of like actually teaching myself to not to think um, right. and to, to set aside the critical voice that is in everyone's brain for just a few minutes while you're trying to bring something into the world. Um, and so, you know, for years I had been trying to, to get to a place where I was, I was, you know, ready to make a full length solo record. Right. Um, but I, I took my time with it because I wanted to make sure that, um, I had acquired the skill sets that I needed to really do the songs that I had made justice. Um, and there were a lot of things about making that record that didn't necessarily play into my strengths. Right. Um, learning to record and produce um, and mix and everything that goes into making a record. Those things are, those are skills that I have, but they're, they're not like Nick, for example, yeah, yeah. Um, Nick, that is like the the way his brain works and he's so good at it. And yeah. he, he's so intuitive with it. Like he just, he just gets it on a level that I have to really like struggle to reach. Sure. Um, and my bandmate Andy, like he, like they, they, they sort of have a more analytical brain and are uh, better accustomed to that sort of work. But for me, it, I have to really um, work at it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I wanted to make sure that I could do it uh, at the level that I wanted to mm -hmm. make what I wanted to make. So it really took some time, but, um, but the record you know, you only get you only get one shot at making a debut yeah. album too. So I wanted, yeah. you know, I cut. They're probably like half again as much as many songs that I didn't actually end up putting on the record oh, okay. because I wanted to make sure that it was that every single song was something that I could inhabit and live with for years. Did Did you know starting out that you were going to make an album, or because I mean, I've I've watched this evolve this project. Mm -hmm. I've seen you play like the back room at the Black Cat here in DC. Mm -hmm. It was up in Baltimore, and seen and you know when it started off, it was just like wow, this is actually really fun, and it looks like she's just having fun, mm -hmm. and I don't know if anything's going to come out of it. Right, yeah. But, you know, in fact, one show you just turn into, like, an 80s dance party, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, I remember <laughs> that. Was... That, that. That was where, I think, at the place I used to live. And, yeah, yeah. Soft House? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, yeah, so... yeah no, I mean, I, making a record was always the goal. Okay. But I I knew that I I was I had to wait until I was at the point where I was capable yeah. of and understood, really understood what I wanted to make and and what I wanted that thing to be. Yeah. And it was a kind of thing where like, this is something I want to do and I'll know it when it's time. I'll know it when I get there, when I have the songs and I feel like it's fully realized, mm -hmm. I'll know. And you don't really get to say how long that takes. And so, you know, I... Yeah. It took some time, but I'm for once in my life I actually showed some patience and restraint, and I'm really happy that I did because yeah. now I um, 
you know, I, I really do have this thing that I think is going to hold up. Like I've already played so many shows with my band. Um, we're on tour right now and the song still feels just as new and exciting. And, and I feel like there's the kind of songs that I will be able to inhabit for as long as the album cycle yeah, yeah, requires yeah. you to. Yeah. Um, so that's something that I definitely thought about, you know, no, having done this for 10 years now and knowing, you know, five, 10 percent of your time goes into actually making new things and 90 percent of your time yeah. goes, goes into repeating the same things over and over again and trying to promote and present, you know, your songs to the world. And, and uh, so I wanted to try and make that side of it as pleasant as possible for myself. Yeah. Did it? I mean, so did it end up? To your mind, uh, given that nobody ever likes what they do, mm-hmm. personally, but did it end up like like you thought it would when you started out? Or I think it changed a lot. Actually, um, I it started out as like a more of a uh, synth pop, yeah, yeah, purely electronic thing, and actually it, it turned yeah, into something that's very organic. Because yeah, when I heard it, I, I was like, "What? I don't even where did this come from?" Yeah, because I because again, I've seen you do this stuff, and I'm just like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> like, it's well, amazing. I, mean, I think it, you know, a lot of people are probably still going to assume that it is that sort of thing, just based on the nature yeah. of it as a quote unquote side project. Yeah. Which I don't really think of it as that, but no. I mean, people will inevitably. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it started out as me kind of experimenting with these different textures in order to learn a new skill set and also kind of learning through copying. Like, you know, I was like, oh, I really like Robins. So like, let's take apart these Robin songs that I like right. and recreate them and figure out how they work. And, right. you know, that's that's how I learn how to do new things. I, I the best fixate, way to learn how to do things. Yeah, I fixate on something that I love and I and I just sort of take it apart and I put it under a microscope and I figure out all the moving pieces and then I put it back together you, and it's my own. Do you worry about it sounding exactly like Robin or just no. go with it? I mean, there was one song I made with Fuck of Dimes that intentionally like i wrote yeah for her and i was like i was like hoping that she would like record it so like that was intentional <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but in general i think when you i i do a lot of the classic like i'm gonna copy this mm-hmm. i'm just gonna straight up copy it yeah and it never it's never something that anyone else would notice because it gets filtered through your own perception your own experience your own tendencies and inevitably comes out the other end is something completely different. And I think that instinct is great because I think what people, a lot of times I hear people, they write a song, you know, and you, if, if you hear it in the early stages of development and they're like, Oh, this sounds too much like this. And like, you know, they love a band or something. Mm-hmm. And instead of just going through it and making the song their own, they, mm-hmm. tr- they, they try to change it to be different. Yeah. And it ends up like just a hot mess. Yeah. Yeah. And, but if you trust your instinct on that, because look how much, there's not a whole lot left to be, uh, undiscovered. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, so, if you start trying to think of music as something that you can do anything really new with. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there are people who are, are really pushing the envelope and the fabric of like what sound is capable of. Mm -hmm. But I work in a form. I work, I make songs. So like I'm inspired by music that is really envelope pushing and exciting and different and new. Mm -hmm. But I I choose to work within a form, I think for a reason. And I I think that, um, again, that's a limitation that really helps me. Man, that bird is going off right now. I'm sorry. It's like, my mind started wandering. I was like, there's like a bird fight going on outside right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I think a lot about like why, like if I really, one of the, one of the things that I admire most in music is originality and is risk taking. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I choose to work within this very, very established form. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think you can incorporate um, a lot of 
risk and, and, and originality into existing forms in a way that's very effective. But I also, I've, I've come to be at peace with the fact that, like I was saying, like, I, mm. I think I am more of like a healer than a destroyer when it yeah. comes to music. And, um, for, for whatever reason, this form is how I best express myself and tap into whatever that great, weird, universal, yeah. fuzzy feeling is. And it's, you- it feels good for me to be able to appeal to like accessibility for me is not something that I'm ashamed of right. um, because as a human being moving through the world, I love being able to talk to and relate to and connect with lots of different kinds of people from lots of different kinds of backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. So why wouldn't I have the same tendencies in the art that I make? Yeah. It feels good. You know, I, I, I just, I, I wanted, I feel like for a while I felt like I should have been so much more of a snob about it. You know, like I was like, well, I'm not a real artist unless I'm making things that are really challenging and inaccessible. Right, 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 right. Um, but I don't know. I mean, there are that, obviously there's a really important place for that, and there are people for whom like that is their role. Yes. In the fabric of human expression. Yes. But for me, like that's not the kind of person I am. So why would it be the kind of artist I am? And it's really satisfying for me to be able to connect with a lot of different people from a lot of different well, backgrounds. It's, it's funny because, you know, and you guys, you've had success with Y Oak. You've had success with this. So, yeah, I mean, you've been out in the, in the successful making music world for a while now. And I think some of that might come from the fact that if, if you are starting a band and you just want to make it, it's all, it to, will be to, very to, obvious. To, yeah, to, but, but to be, yeah. but to be, to be like oppositional, to be a contrarian, mm-hmm. to be like you said, the, the uh, destroyer. Which yeah. I am, I am wholly on board we with this theory. They got to be out there, absolutely. You know, but but those, the destroyers don't often because they're again, it's like they they almost get there and then they sort of like ignore what they want. So I mean, sometimes I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's not. Great. I mean, I I know a lot of people who like as people are like a lot more antagonistic and contrarian and oppositional mm-hmm. as people. You know, like they delight in their social interactions in like conflict and yeah. like aggression and argument and like I hate it. Yeah. I am the most conflict averse person you will ever meet, and I I only feel comfortable. Personally, socially, when I'm making the people around me feel comfortable. Yeah. I don't know why. It's just the way I'm made. I like to make people, the people around me, feel good. Right. I like to I like to inspire good feelings and comfort and 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 establish like a sort of equal footing with the people that I meet and the people that I speak to. Um because I love people and I yeah. you know, I want to I want to do something to help the world and make people feel better and, and bring people into closer connection with their feelings. And make them think about the world in a different way. But that's the way, I mean, at this point, like, I've given up. Like, I know that's how I am. Yeah. And I know that trying to do anything differently would really just be going against the current of, you know, and and, then I can, I think I can do much, so much more going with my best tendencies rather than fighting them every step of the way. Um, I mean, a lot of people, too, I think, get that, like, they don't get that there are a lot of people out there and, like, they can all help. Yeah, that, I mean that's the big thing. You, when you realize that you just have to, you figure out what you want to do and do yeah. that. Yeah, and then for the other stuff, find some other people and be like, "Hey, like yeah. you can do this and stuff." Yeah. And it really, you know, to to that point about doing that, like, what do you, uh, especially as like we're uh, rolling up to this election on Tuesday mm-hmm. and HB two in North Carolina, uh-huh. like all these terrible things. <laughs> like how how can music help, like? Just as music, or, or can it? Well, you're catching me at a particularly 
I don't know. I'm I'm extremely anxious, as I think most yeah, people well, are yeah, about yeah. what's what's about to happen. Um, and I I like to present myself as an optimist, but in reality, I think I'm I am pretty. Uh, I feel somewhat hopeless and hopeless yeah. a lot of the time. Um, and I I think the trick for me is to think small about it. And I, if I make something that is real and honest and uh, tries to convey a message about human nature or yeah. love or the human experience in a way that grabs people and that feels real and that resonates, then I hope that that experience will bring them closer to their own truest, deepest selves, yeah. which I also hope most of the time is a good a yeah. place of good, a yeah, place yeah, yeah. of good, of loving other people, of accepting other people. However, I have no explanation for what's happening in the world. Yeah, we're seeing I, that we've seen that it's more complex than that. that, I, that I have no, I mean, I, I want to believe that people are inherently good and that the way that hatred uh, and the, the, the willing, you know, the willingness to try and split people into groups yeah. of other, of us and them, I want to believe that that's because people are in pain and people mm -hmm. have had experiences that that have caused them pain and that have brought them, you know, I like, I try and, I try and remember that it's, it's a very complex thing and to not judge people based yeah. on that. Even people who I deeply, deeply disagree with, but at the same time, like it's really hard to look at what's happening and look at the depth of hate yeah. in people's hearts and not just throw up your hands and be like, maybe people aren't inherently good. Like, I don't well, know. I don't it, know it, how to deal yeah, with it. It's interesting you say that because I went into this year as uh, I've been, uh, not not a full full blown cynic, mm -hmm. uh, but definitely not an optimist. Yeah, no, and, nor I. And uh, and believing sort of the opposite of of what you just said, where I, I think that people are just capable of bad. That's that's our that's our natural. Some state. Some people are absolutely that's yes. our natural state. And and what we're we're trying to do is not be that. Yes, because we can. Yes, be good. But if you're talking about like the basic needs of survival and stuff, I mean that's just going to yeah. lead to mm -hmm. bad stuff. I've been forced in this election to, to, to completely flip and be like, no, I have to believe people are good. I have to believe, you know, I grew up in a community where all this stuff like Trump voters and all mm -hmm. the hate that you're talking about, uh, that I, I know those people. Mm -hmm. I know them well. So do I. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and it's still like, you know, maybe there's hope. Maybe, you know, maybe we can, uh, I think change this. Like, because uh, like now I'm sort of like, we have to, because if we aren't, doing stuff like making a song that like touches somebody in a way you know it's just little small measures yeah. that it multiply yeah. well that's what the song my record minor justice is about yes. yeah. and there's also um yeah like small acts of kindness that resonate mm -hmm. um there's also a song on the record called give an electric life that has a line that says do you believe it can be done and it's a question as much as it is a statement yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but i mean I, I am as much uh, a pessimist and as much a cynic as, as anyone, um, but I have to force myself to believe that things are possible because I think, um, I don't think believe is necessarily enough, but mm -hmm. I think nothing can happen, nothing can be done if right. there is not first that belief that it's possible. Right. And so, you know, even though it's really hard for me and I think hard for a lot of people in the face of everything that's happening, to keep that belief intact, I think it's kind of the most important thing because if we if people give up, yeah. then there's no hope. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me the trick is to try and not take more than I can handle onto my shoulders. Um, yeah. because it's very 
um, it's very easy to take in the world at large in uh, a way that we've never been able to before using Mm -hmm. the new tools that are available to us. And like, we have a different perspective that the internet has, has offered um, that is basically forcing us to fit uh, an infinite amount of information into our very small, finite brains. And um, I, I have to constantly remind myself not to take on more not to take the entire world, the entire responsibility of fixing yeah, everything under before, my shoulders. Before it, we just saw our little corner, yeah, and stuff. And, and I've I've made this like sort of like metaphor or whatever it is before. It's like you know, there's shootings happen every day, mm-hmm. right? But before a shooting in Ferguson, you wouldn't hear when, about and, it, and, and all it wouldn't the time. be yeah. national news, yeah. But the point uh, that people in my life made to me is like it should have been though. It absolutely should have been. Because without yeah. it being national news, without everybody knowing, you forget. Like, if you live off, we, I mean, we're mm-hmm. in Brooklyn, we have a crime issue up here, mm-hmm. but it's a relatively nice neighborhood compared mm-hmm. to anywhere in Baltimore, uh, you know, at least in the city. And uh, it's like, we we wouldn't know. Well, yeah, and I think people need to know because, yeah. the, I mean, it's so easy to fixate on the symptom crime of yeah. a larger issue, which is disenfranchisement and systemic oppression and you know all these major issues that like if anything you know it's it's very anxiety inducing to suddenly have all this information at our fingertips but it's what we do with it is really important and i think in the long run it's really good that people are sort of waking up to uh the cause of these issues that that could have been just like a very like you're just looking at a symptom and all of a sudden people are starting to understand that like everything is connected yes um it's a lot to take in um i think it's really important that everyone does what they can do. Um, but it's equally important to not burn out by trying to take on more than right. one person can and by right. any standards reasonably expect to do. Right. So um, it's tricky because, you know, I, I want, you know, it's, I think a lot of people right now, a lot of good, good hearted people who care about what's happening in the world want to contribute as much as they can to the forces of good and, and justice and equality um, for all people, but um, but at the same time, sometimes there, as an act of self preservation, I have to kind of step back a little bit yep. and and just like take a breath and cut myself off from that because I you know if I burn myself out and if there's no me left, then I, there's no I can't I can't contribute to the world in any sort of meaningful way. Right. right. Um, so what might at first seem selfish is actually I think in the grand scheme of things an act of self-preservation for the greater good but right. i mean also i don't know i feel a lot of guilt about it because some people don't have that choice yeah some people don't have the option to yeah well i mean it's it's the um it's the understanding of your privilege mm-hmm. that's important it's you know you said you're an empath it's empathy is is the biggest thing and the understanding uh you know that if you are in a position of privilege then you have to be like okay how what do i do now what can, do what can i it, do what you can, what can yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, just don't be bad. That's a good thing to start with. Yeah. Well, I worry about empathy, too, because I think um, it's very understandable that empathy, I think, is, is for a lot of people contingent upon being actually physically present in a shared space with another person, mm-hmm. being able to yeah, see for sure. and look at and, and breathe the same air as another human being. And when you remove that from the equation and, and you're suddenly in these digital realms um, where the the human element is not present, um, it's very easy to start seeing p- actual people as these sort of theoretical, digital, uh, separated ideas and I- yeah. ideals, but not actual human beings. And so I think, 
I worry, one of the things I worry about the most is that like all conversations on the internet become arguments because of the lack of right. the human element and because empathy is very, very hard to conjure if you're not actually speaking directly to another human being. Right. I you're mean, just sort of typing words into the idea to the idea of a human being. Right. So I, I worry about empathy because I think that is, in a lot of ways, what is missing from so many people who are just fearful and hateful and afraid um, mm-hmm. of people who are not like them. Um, but I like to believe that if you put those people in a shared space with people who are different, that their shared humanity would be enough to transcend yeah, in some I, way. I, I, I do believe those you feelings. can always find something. I hope so, but at the same time, I don't know. I'm like, maybe I'm just naive, and maybe people I, are I don't just think you are naive. hateful I, I, and bad. I, I, I mean, think there's there's certain type of people that will be uh, just oppositional and, and and just opposed in general, just certain personalities that won't work. But in but if I, I think there's conditions that you can make even those people find some common ground on something. I, I would they, hope they so. wouldn't have to be friends. I would hope so, but I I, I also it's hard sometimes to well again like, you have to believe I guess so. I'm going to choose to believe. Well, it's interesting. It's, <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting too because that's that's sort of how our our uh, our entertainment system works and stuff. Like mm-hmm. people don't think of you and Andy as people. Certainly not. Uh, no, you're, no, you're it's really, oak. It's like it's, you're, you're flock of dimes. You're this thing. It's up yeah. here. You're not a person. And well, that's one of the things that's most unsettling to me about it. Um, you know, I think of myself as having a certain skill set, and I do a certain job, yeah. and it's what I love to do, and I think it's what I'm best at. But I don't think that makes me better than anybody. And right. there's something about the entertainment industry, or like being a performer, or being a musician, putting your work out there, that uh, people put you on a pedestal in a weird way that I do not enjoy. And I, mm-hmm. like I said, I, I, I am only comfortable in a social situation when I feel like I'm putting the people with me at ease and like on yeah. equal footing. And so when someone is refusing to let me do that, it's really hard for me. And that's, then I start being self-deprecating and it's weird, you know, right, like, right. it's was like, I can't believe you're even talking to me. I'm nobody. And I'm right. just like, <laughs> I fundamentally disagree. Like, I can't, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even have this conversation because yeah. I, everything that I believe revolves around you and I being the same, like, and, and, yeah. and me being a human, a flawed human person and not some sort of, you know right i like i don't know i just i guess you know there are people who who are more iconic who their entire identity is their art you know like and i think that is an incredible accomplishment as an artist um and it's something that requires hands-on involvement in every at every level which i think is an amazingly difficult thing to execute but i don't think of myself that way and i don't really aspire to that and i think part of what makes the music that I make work is the fact that I am human and I want to present myself as such and on a very like equal footing with the people that consume it and enjoy it and relate to it. So it's tough because yeah, I don't like trying to get the eyes and ears on your work Mm -hmm. is uh, something that is at odds with the way that I think about the world, which is that like we're all the same. Right. And I don't think that what I do necessarily makes me better of you know or like special in any way right um you know there are people there are so many people that i admire so much more that i think are doing amazing things in the world and really like well everybody has their art and there's there's no like definition of art isn't like i did this with a crayon i did this on my guitar Mm -hmm. it's like my lady does uh, education policy that's Mm -hmm. her art yeah uh, and and all of it's important. It's so important. And I don't think that, I guess that's the difference. I don't think that what I do makes me important. <laughs> like, I'm not, I don't. Well, 
I, I would counter you, you, you. What you do, it makes you important to at least somebody. Like if, like you said, that one song, if that moves one person, if that's all you did in your entire career, then that makes you important to them. Yeah, but I don't think that makes me better than anyone oh, else. No, 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 no. Everyone's contributing in their own way. Yes. Yeah. And you know, it, I think that, um, I think I'm really good at what I do mm-hmm. because it's the skill set that I was kind of born with and have encouraged and have been fortunate enough to be able to foster and like um, have had people. Uh, you know, I've I've been really lucky from a lucky you know, from a really young age. People have been willing to let me make records and put them out. You know, yeah. So that could have e- easily not happened to me, and I'd be doing something else. But I think even if I was doing something else, I don't think I'd be less valuable as a human. Right, I don't think right. I've had less worth as a person if like I didn't have as many articles about me on the internet. You think you'd be a, <laughs> you think you'd be a writer if you weren't a musician? I have no idea what I would do. That's no. the thing is that like I don't really have a backup plan because well, that's good though. This is my only real That's why it works. set of skills. I guess so, yeah. But I guess yeah, I don't know. I don't think of of this profession or uh calling or whatever you want to call it as being of greater significance to the world as, of any no, no, as any no, no, you know no, 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 anything yeah, else yeah, yeah. um but i think that because of the nature of uh the cult of celebrity and the way people want to think about the the people that make the things that they consume um a lot of people want to put me in a place of uh significance that i'm actually deeply uncomfortable right, with right and which is why i my goal as you know, from a career perspective and from a personal perspective is to have the minimum amount of notoriety possible to, to be able to continue to do what I do. Like I have to keep working at people. I need to have people that will allow me to continue making records and I need to eat, but like, I don't want any more attention than I have to have to make that possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally makes makes sense. And I'm going to start winding this down because I know you guys got to get to a sound check. Um, but, uh, does being down in North Carolina, because I tell you, I don't know what's in the water down there, but, <laughs> but you guys, of great you guys are just like killing it. And does being down there in that like help with this now? I think having more space and distance and alone time yeah. really helps me, has helped me. Cause you were living in um, group houses in Baltimore a lot, right? I was, yeah. I, um, I lived in some warehouses. I lived, um, I lived with a friend, but I, I never lived alone. And, um, this experience of living in North Carolina has been the first time that I have lived alone in my life. And it is, it has changed me. <laughs> I can say like pretty substantially. I'm deeply spoiled now. Did you, um, did you start looking there because of Amelia and Nick or? Yeah, actually at the end of a tour we did together, yeah. um, I was staying at their house and I, I moved in next door to them because <laughs> I was like, Oh man, it's so nice. Your neighborhood's so beautiful. I love it here. And they were like, well, the house next door is for rent. And I, Went and looked at it and realized I could afford to live alone in a house for as much as I was paying yeah. to live uh, with roommates in Baltimore, and so that was kind of what sealed the deal for me. Yeah. Um. But but um. I don't know. I mean, I personally still feel really really connected to Baltimore because that's that's where I spent most of my life, right, and right, so right, right. and the community there is is amazing, and the music that's coming out of there is incredible, and so I would still consider myself to be a part of that community. But it's amazing to to be an adopted member of the North Carolina yeah. community as well. And, but mostly, you know, I, in the words of my therapist, <laughs> when I moved to North Carolina, she told me that I had to be careful not to recreate Baltimore because yep. the point was to sense. have fewer distractions and to have more personal time and mm-hmm. space. Um, and if I just created the exact same set of circumstances that I had been, you know, 
trying to get away from. It would be yeah. purposeless. So um, I spend a lot of time in my house um, yeah. working, thinking, writing. Um, and it's been uh, really helpful to learn how to be uh, alone and learn how to be more productive and learn how to be with myself uh, and present in a more uh, sustainable, less anxiety-ridden way. Right. Um, and I think... Um, yeah, so I mean that that's been huge for me. I I I'm so happy that I made the call and actually went went through with it. Yeah, I remember asking somebody. It might have been Amanda, uh, your PR. Mm, oh yeah, but mm-hmm. I, I remember asking, said, "Hey, uh, when the album came out, I said we'll just drive up to Baltimore." Mm-hmm. And she told me you moved to North Carolina. I was just like, "Oh, oh I was like every, that? I was like everybody is yeah. moving to North Carolina." Well, it's funny because moving there is actually I think the thing that helped me finally finish this thing because bef- right before I moved there. I had hit this wall with it where like it was supposed to be done, but I knew that it wasn't. And I cut a bunch of songs and I, I just tried to mix it for the first time and it didn't work out. And I was pretty devastated and I knew that it wasn't done, but I just didn't think that I had it in me to finish it. I was like, I know something needs to happen here, but I'm at a loss. I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. And the move ended up being the thing that pushed me into, um, that home stretch. You know, I wrote, I wrote, um, Semaphore, everything is happening. Oh wow! Um, uh, sometimes it is right to have no answer. Uh, Given electric life, and I wrote half, oh, so half the album, the record yeah. when I moved, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and the other half was from Baltimore. Okay, and so um, yeah, I mean, it was like the th- it was I needed to to shake to shake things up mm-hmm. and to get um, in a new space physically and emotionally and psychologically in order to finish it. And I know that that was the push that it took to actually get it done. Yeah, I mean, you, Baltimore hasn't become stagnant at all. Oh, it, deeply no, not. No, I mean, that, yeah. the thing is, if, if anything, it's too vibrant because yeah. it was very easy for me to use the people in that place uh, that I love and I've known for my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, so many friends, so many amazing things happening constantly. It was so easy for me to use all of that as a distraction. When it really got down to it and I was up against a wall and I was like, I'm hitting, I'm hitting the ceiling of what I think I'm capable of. And I could sit here and wallow in my own inadequacy yeah. and like push through and maybe try and like have a breakthrough or I can go to this cool show or like this fun party or like have dinner with my friend. And like, right. I have no willpower, like 10 times out of 10, <laughs> I'm at the show, I'm at the party, yeah. I'm having dinner with my friend, you know, and I, yeah. I just had to take those distractions away for a little while and see what I would, was capable of. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, Thanks for coming down. Hey, thanks for having you, you're, me. You were actually number one on our list of people we want to talk to you before the world. That's was so nice. It, Thank you. The, uh, the very first show I shot was you guys mm. at the church in no Baltimore. No kidding. Yeah. At twenty six forty. Yeah, I've got the I've got the picture upstairs. Oh man, that's crazy. I'd and love to see that. I had no fucking idea what we were doing, and I didn't <laughs> I didn't even know what Andy looked like. And uh, I looked up. To, I walked up to him, and he's short. <laughs> he's <laughs> a small man. He's a, small he's a little. Man. He's and it was bite just, size. It was like. So, <laughs> Somebody's like, it's like, oh, uh, the, the press messed up, and they didn't have a photo pass, and he's like, yeah, we don't care, and it's like, okay, and then all of a sudden I see him get on stage, and I'm like, oh, oh damn that's it, him. that's him. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, um, I remember that show actually. I remember, I mean, that show gosh, was great. yeah, I remember it very well. It was the end of a many, one of many long tours. But yeah. Um, but yeah, thanks so much. That that's really really cool to hear. Thanks yeah. for paying attention and, and and listening to what we do. You're welcome. All right, bye bye.
Thanks again to Jen Wastner for coming down and taking the time for the show. I know she had a uh, she's she's been out on tour for a long time, so they they are they're winding down, and they just I think played the uh, their homecoming show in Carver, North Carolina, uh, the night after we talked. Uh, the set at U Street Music Hall was amazing, and uh, yeah, it was just it was just a thrill to get you know we we started this site. This you heard us talking about it a little at the end, but legitimately. Um, we didn't know how to do any of this, but we knew that we wanted to talk to Y Oak. We wanted to see Y Oak. Uh, we wanted to report on Y Oak because they were awesome. And so one of the first things I ever did, one of the first things I ever shot was this show they played at a church. Uh, it was, it was a magical show. And, uh, so, you know, things come full circle. We finally get down to sit, sit down and talk with her. And, um, it's great. Is what I'm saying. Just, just, just great. Um, you know, on these podcasts, we like to play a track, and sometimes we like to pair stuff, but uh, I want to make sure that you, you've heard some of Miss Wassner's music, so uh, we're going to play one of her tracks off of uh, If You if you See Me Say Yes. The name of the track is Ida Glow, and this was, you know, there's there's electronic flourishes on this album, a lot of that, a lot of synth, but this is one, when I saw the U Street Music Hall this Friday here in Washington, D.C., uh, you guys might be familiar with a little band called LCD Sound System, and and this 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 got there, guys. Uh, so this is uh, this is one of the standout tracks on the album, and and it definitely was standout live, and maybe a peak of things to uh, to come uh, for for Jen Wastner. So uh, if you're ready to have your ears and your mind exploded, uh, here you go. This is Jen Wastner as Flock of Dimes, and the name of the track is Ida Glow off of If You See Me Say Yes.
Light It Glow. If you see me say yes is the name of the album. Um, Flock of Dimes. Just, just badass. Bad ass. But that's, that's Jen Wasser in a nutshell, I think. You know, knew that beforehand. But, uh, just seen, seen her play, but now, uh, I've sitting down and talked to her. She gets the, uh, the badass seal of approval. So, thanks again, guys, uh, for coming by. Hopefully be back, uh, when you get a new album out. That brings us to the end of our podcast. If you liked what you heard here, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Stitcher, uh, Google Play, Mixcloud. Uh, uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud. I'm actually behind. I need to upgrade, update those. We only rotate in two uh, every week. Um, you can leave us a comment. You can leave us a star. There's a little tip jar down there if you like what we're doing. Um, and uh, you can leave us a little, little cash, and we'll pay for the, uh, the LaCroix that we all drink uh, sitting down for with Jen Wasner and her band. Uh, but, you know, being this is the day for election, before you do all that, what I really want you to do is, is get out and vote. That is, you know, if you made it to the end of this and you haven't voted, or you hadn't thought about it, yeah, I feel bad for not mentioning this up front, but, but now's the time. So maybe you're listening to this in the morning, and you're like, when should I go vote? Now. Turn this off. Go vote. It, you know, I'm not going to go over what we have going on in this country right now. That, that, that's pointless. You can turn on the TV, read newspaper, or just stick your head out the window and see. But uh, this is easily one of the most important elections uh, in, in my lifetime. It is probably one of the most elections, important elections in your lifetime. And uh, I would be lying if I said I don't care how you vote. Uh, you know, we endorse Clinton because we don't like crazy things. But as you heard um, from our conversation there, and uh, this is actually why I ran this episode today, there's – you can feel helpless in all this, and you can say, oh, I can't vote. I can't change things. It is, but the reality is is that – a bunch of little things can add up to to uh, one big thing or a bunch of big things. So no matter how helpless you you feel uh, in this process, you, your voice does count. If you're uh, if you're dissatisfied with the results of where we're at now, then you know get out, do it on a more local level, and advocate for these you know whatever policies you believe in. Uh, I think it's generally understood that we should only advocate policies that don't hurt people. Now more than ever, we need to advocate for, for stuff that is helping people. That seems to be a theme of a lot of what we've talked about this year on this podcast. And um, and uh, so basically, uh, you know, don't give up. It's easy to be cynical. Uh, I understand it. I uh, it's It makes sense. But try to give hope a try one time and see what happens. It's a podcast uh, for you this week. Uh, we will see you on the other side of, of, of Election Tuesday. Uh, until then, be good to yours, but please be, be, be better to your people. Be good to your people. And uh, try to be good to everybody. Talk to you soon.
<laughs> 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 Kenobi.